All right, well, open your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this morning, I will be reading verses 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In the letters of First and Second Thessalonians, uh, in Times Doctrine, about uh, future events, and especially about the second coming of Christ, is very often in the foreground of these letters. It's it's right up front. And in fact, that's why I chose these letters. I wanted to preach on uh, something that had to do with uh, end times. And so in these letters, you find a lot of teaching about the end times, um, what it is. Um, and when it comes up, there's often a little bit of correcting some of the misconceptions of the Thessalonians. But Paul's concern is not just factual, that they get all the order of events right, although he's concerned with that, but it's also practical. It's how this hope should fit into the present day life of mission and responsibilities within uh, the church. And so that's in the foreground. It's often comes up in these letters uh, around the, uh, teaching about the end times and Christ's uh, return. But always in the background of these letters, uh, maybe even more often than uh, the end times teaching, always in the background of these letters is the issue of assurance. It's the issue of assurance. I've been telling you this, and it, I think it really helps to uh, understand both of uh, these uh, letters. Whatever you believe about the order of events, whether you believe that we Christians in the present time will enter into the seven-year tribulation period that comes right before Christ's return, or if you think, as I do, that will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air before that seven-year period uh, begins. Every Christian ought to know and know for sure about the end times that when the dust settles, Christ's return will result in you receiving your inheritance because you're a child of God, because you're a Christ child and because you have an inheritance coming to you in his return. That uh, day means that you uh, receive that uh, inheritance. If you lack assurance of your salvation, then the second coming of Christ will not be to you 
a blessed hope, and that's how it's described uh, in Scripture, but it's going to be kind of like a nagging dread uh, instead, which is not what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to face the Lord's uh, coming and look forward to the Lord's coming with assurance, knowing that you belong to the Lord, knowing that you're saved uh, by grace, knowing that salvation extends to you. Satan is always an active enemy, and his favorite way to create distance between the Christian and Christ is to plant in your mind that you maybe are not God's own child. And Satan has a thousand ways uh, to do that. The time may be drawing very near for Christ's return. Satan has been very active in uh, the present time and very successful, both inside and outside the church. And so it would be no surprise to me if Satan were doing that right now with you suggesting that you're not a child of God when you actually are, and doing this to cause destruction uh, in your life. If so, then let me announce good news to you that God is at work, even now, through his invincible word, his unconquerable word, to call you back to assurance of salvation and through that assurance to nearness to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does our paragraph then, I've, I've given you kind of a, a little bit of a summary of, of these letters or the main concern and main thrust of these letters. How does our paragraph that I read uh, this morning from chapter two fit into this letter and fit into Paul's concern in this uh, letter? Well, um, often it, this passage is seen as a defense, it's kind of a key word, a defense of Paul's apostolic ministry. And so it, you're, in your translation of the Bible, you, if they give little headings, you know, at the beginning of the chapter, you might even see something like that, you know, a defense of Paul's, uh, Paul's ministry. And perhaps it is, perhaps it is. It certainly sounds like that. It certainly sounds like, uh, a defense. Paul is basically saying and, uh, uh, explaining to the Thessalonians that he had a pure motive and the, the men with him, Silas and Timothy, had a pure motive when he preached uh, the gospel to them. And so some have seen this. Well, uh, Paul had enemies in the city of Thessalonica. Remember, they caused a big mob and they twisted uh, some of the words that he had taught. He said these men are turning the world upside down. They're teaching people to disobey Caesar and, and teaching about a new king who is uh, who's Jesus. And so uh, perhaps they had made a little bit of inroads into the church and created a little suspicion about Paul and his motives to uh, the Thessalonians. And so Paul's trying to address that and uh, shore it up here by defending his apostolic uh, ministry and the nature of it. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. I think that's close, but uh, but not quite uh, why this is uh, here. I think it's not aimed at defending Paul's ministry, but aimed instead at assurance of salvation like so many other things in uh, this uh, letter. Let me give you two reasons why I think this. There's more, but uh, I'll, I'll just give you these two reasons and uh, introduce it uh, in this way. One repeated phrase that you find in these 12 verses that I read is, you know, you know. In other words, Paul's telling them what they already know. Uh, in this case, there's four times you know. Uh, one time you remember, which is basically the same thing. And uh, another time he appeals to them as uh, witnesses. And so if Paul's aim is self-defense or, or defending his ministry, clearing his name, he's doing it rather effortlessly because he just says, well, you already know that I had uh, pure motives when I came uh, to you. And so all you have to do is think about it and whatever criticism that Paul's countering evaporates because they already know that uh, none of that uh, would be true. 
Uh, I think instead of doing this, Paul's aim instead is to restore their assurance of uh, salvation. And if you're, you're trying to restore assurance, you might want to start from what you know. Or if Paul's trying to uh, restore their assurance of salvation, he might want to start with what they know and then build a bridge to what they have doubts on, which is their own salvation. And so Paul, I think here in reminding him of his pure motives when he came uh, to them in preaching the gospel is building a beachhead against their lack of assurance. And so he's saying in effect this, how did the gospel come to you? How was it delivered to you? How is it that you had a positive response and accepted the word of the gospel? Was the gospel delivered to you by manipulators, by hucksters, by good salesmen, uh, by people who knew how to get a good response uh, from people? Is that why the gospel gained a good response in you? Is that why it took hold uh, in you? And so even uh, if the Thessalonians, after becoming discouraged, uh, are not bold enough to say, I know for sure I'm a child of God. They're certainly able to say, I know for sure that Paul and Silas and Timothy were not skillful manipulators when they came and pre- preached the gospel here. And in fact, I'll never say that about them. I know that they were uh, uh, not uh, trying to manipulate a, a response uh, uh, from from us, uh, but they, they gave the gospel uh, selflessly. So what is the explanation for the Thessalonians receiving uh, the word of God? What other explanation could there be? Well, it's this, that a holy and sovereign and all-powerful God was himself reaching out uh, to them uh, in an extraordinary way to make the Thessalonian believers his own. And he did that by sending his gospel through these men, these no-names, these uh, people who are actually the least likely to be carrying uh, his uh, message of uh, salvation. And so I think Paul rather than uh, defending himself, is really a building a bridge from how the gospel was given, which they know it was given, uh, not in a way that's fake, but in a way that's real, uh, building a bridge to there to the manner in which it was received. And so that's what he does here in uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. He talks about how the gospel came to them. And then in verse 13 to 16, which we won't get to this morning, that's uh, for next time. He's going to talk about how the gospel was received. And so it's a, it's a match. It was given sincerely. It was given, uh, not in a way that's fake or manipulative. And that same gospel was received. And they're both real. And it's both, uh, uh, um, because of God reaching out, uh, to the Thessalonians and winning them to himself through his gospel preachers. So that's the, uh, that's the first reason I'll give you why I don't think there's so much a defense. Uh, as it is a, a, a way to to restore the Thessalonians' um, assurance of uh, salvation. And uh, uh, the second reason is uh, because of the context of ch- and, uh, meaning of chapters one through uh, three. Uh, Paul, if you read it, and we won't do that, we won't read the whole thing, but if you read it, it doesn't seem so much that Paul is answering criticisms like a, a fencer who's who's uh, wielding off the blows with his uh, sword. But instead, he's explaining to the Thessalonians why he has such good grounds for making the Thessalonians' election, that is their true salvation, a special object of his thanksgivings to uh, God. And so that's what introduces all this in chapter 1. All of this comes out of his thanksgiving that they're really saved. 
Uh, and uh, that's where it's going to head back into again in chapter uh, three is back to uh, Thanksgiving. And so he's ex- he's actually in the midst of explaining how he can be so sure that they're saved and they can too. It's because of the way the gospel came to them and uh, especially because of the way in which they uh, received it as well. So as we go through some of the details of what the Thessalonians already knew and they didn't doubt and that's about how the gospel came to them, perhaps I'd like you to think and consider about how the gospel came to you and won an acceptance uh, from you and maybe it was uh, maybe it was your pastor Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was your neighbor. Maybe it was uh, your friends. Or if you could think of that. Or you could even think about the chain of gospel messengers going all the way back to the beginning of the church. Because that's just the final link of the chain. The one who gave it to you is just the uh, final link uh, in that uh, uh, chain. And uh, think about how the gospel came to you and received a hearing from you. Were you taken in by charlatans? Is that how, is that how the gospel came to you? Uh, and, and, uh, you responded to it. Did you fall in among manipulators? Is that what happened? When somebody told you the gospel and you heard it and it made sense to you and you, uh, accepted it? Is that why you believed? Or did God himself seek you in love by bringing you good news at the hands of his own self-forgetful servants who weren't acting for their own benefit? But they were acting because they're moved by God to give you uh, the good news of uh, the gospel. Well, let me say this. You know. You know what it is. You know what it is. Um, just as the Thessalonians knew about those who brought uh, the gospel to them. Uh, that it was brought to you at the hands of the Lord's servants. It was not brought to you at the hands of people who were uh, able to uh, get something out of you for their own uh, benefit. And so Satan may have uh, mixed you up. Or turned you around so that you're not able to see your own salvation. Or not able to see it as well as you did when you were uh, first saved. It might feel like at times that you walk in darkness and that there's no light. Uh, but you're not likely to lose sight of this. Uh, and, and remembering that uh, the gospel came to you at the hands of uh, the Lord's uh, servants. And remembering that might cause you to see... Uh, uh, the, the salvation that came to you at, at first uh, through them and, and continues uh, until now. So uh, this morning, let's look uh, at these verses and I'll go through them just verse by verse. So I'll give you a three-part outline. It's going to talk about the way in which the gospel was brought to the Thessalonian uh, believers. First, we'll look at the circumstances of those who preach the gospel to you, as Paul writes it to the Thessalonians. Second, the motives of those who preach the gospel to you. And third, the conduct of those who preach the gospel to you. So first, the circumstances of those who preach the gospel to you. And uh, we'll start in verse one. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. We start with the first, you know, and we're going to have a number uh, of others uh, of those. And uh, this one comes with emphasis, and your, your Bible may put it that way, like, you yourselves know. That's what mine uh, says. And so this is a big emphasis. It's it's kind of, uh, this verse is kind of a great summary for the whole uh, passage. You yourselves know what kind of entrance we had uh, with you. So Paul says, you know that our entering in unto you, that it hasn't been found vain. It hasn't been found empty. It hasn't been found void of reality and of power. Uh, but 
rather it is just uh, just the opposite uh, that it was that it was real uh, when it when it uh, came to you and uh, when we came to you with uh, with the gospel so um, this is uh, what Paul writes and this is a this is a summary basically for uh, everything that follows uh, the reality of the coming of the gospel is seen in the circumstances of the gospel preachers it's seen in the uh, motives of the gospel preachers and then finally it's seen in the conduct but here first it's seen in the outward circumstances of uh, these uh, gospel preachers and what were they well he says in verse two but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in philippi as you know we had the boldness in our god to speak to you the gospel amid much opposition um this is uh account recounted for us in acts and it's uh, memorable when paul first came to europe with uh the gospel his first stop was philippi and it ended him up in jail he he found a, a good hearing for the gospel uh not in a synagogue but among uh, some women that had gathered by the river uh to worship the one true god who were uh, jewish people in that uh city just a few people but uh through a, a, a number of events, Paul ended up with his feet in stocks, in prison, uh, injured, humiliated, scourged by the Romans, which was actually illegal for uh, Roman citizens. And so uh, they were uh, left Philippi, um, and their next stop was Thessalonica. And so this was no small amount of opposition that Paul had uh, been through before he preached uh, the gospel. Paul and Silas uh, were still recovering. Their backs were still lacerated from the whipping and the scourging that they had uh, received. And the, the Thessalonians knew this. After we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. And so it's in those circumstances that when Paul came to Thessalonica, he was filled with boldness. And that's a word that's uh, used a number of times in the New Testament, kind of a special word for the New Testament preachers, for the way the gospel was preached uh, by them with boldness. It's an interesting word. It comes from two words put together, the word all and the word speech. So it's all speech. And it speaks of a state of mind that you come into when words flow freely. It's nice when that happens, especially if you're a pastor. Uh, when when the words just flow and uh, you, you're, the words uh, come to your mind, and it's a it's something that happens. This boldness or free, freedom of speech uh, that happens when your words match the truth, and you know it matches the truth. And when this happens, it often uh, begets other people being excited about what you're talking about um, as well. This is why um, freedom of speech is. Uh, so much under attack today is because when people speak the truth, it spreads. And uh, uh, we've seen uh, freedom of speech really under attack uh, uh, today for that reason. They don't want the truth to spread and they can't stand against it. And so uh, uh, the only thing to do is to censor that uh, speech. Uh, but boldness uh, matches when when your when your speech matches the truth and that's true of of um 
just secular things, how much more is it true when the Holy Spirit is involved? And then the Holy Spirit gives boldness because uh, uh, the speaking comes from God. And that's what Paul's talking about. We had boldness not in themselves, he says, but we had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. And so he's saying, are you doubting your salvation? I think this is the reason for all of this. Are you doubting our, your salvation? We'll start with this. When we came to you, it was against all odds. It was it was uh, when we had been uh, persecuted in such a way that would seem to cause us to get up, to give up, and God inspired us with boldness. So we spoke to you, and the words just flowed uh, out of our mouths because it was God Himself who was reaching out to you, wanting to give you the gospel even amidst much uh, oppositions. And so uh, the circumstances of the gospel coming to the city of Thessalonica and winning. Uh, these believers in the church there show that the gospel that reached them was didn't come like uh, like mercenaries who uh, were seeking uh, their own uh, benefit, uh, but came uh, from those who were truly sent by God and truly sent by God uh, with uh, a gospel that is intended uh, for you. The same is true for you. Why did you believe in uh, the gospel? Were you... Uh, hoodwinked into uh, believing the gospel by by some sort of uh, a scam. No. Uh, those who taught you the gospel, whether it's the first link in that chain, the apostles who sealed their testimony uh, with their blood, or whether it's the, the feet of the herald who brought uh, the gospel to you, they didn't gain anything by speaking it to you. It can't be explained uh, that, uh, that gospel reached you and, uh, won a hearing because every link in that chain wanted, had something in it they wanted for themselves. No, it was God Himself. It was your Father who was reaching out to you, who was sending you the gospel through His servants who had nothing to gain. In fact, they had everything to gain by not telling you, uh, the gospel. And yet it was God Himself making sure that that gospel would reach you in order that you might be His child. You know that. You know that. Uh, you know that uh, it didn't come to you by people that are seeking their own gain. And so Paul reminds the uh, Thessalonians of this. He's creating a little bit of a foothold to, to remind them. He's going to build it even uh, later when he talks about how they received it uh, as well. But he's building a foothold to remind them, yes, you're God's child. You're God's child. And it's seen even in the way that the gospel came to you amidst much opposition. Well, he says, Paul speaks to them about the circumstances of those who preach the gospel to you. Next, he moves to the motive of those who brought the gospel to you. And uh, he's been speaking of outward things like uh, their experience in Philippi, uh, what they suffered, and yet they had uh, uh, boldness uh, to speak uh, to them. These are all outward things. But here he's going to speak to them of uh, inward things. And uh, he's been speaking of specific things, what happened in Thessalonica, what happened right before when they were in uh, Philippi. But he's going to speak to them here of, of uh, general things, of, of things that uh, he was in the habit of doing, things that he did uh, all the time uh, in his uh, ministry, verse 3 and 4. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. So Paul says, uh, when we came to you, it was not because uh, we were under some sort of delusion. He mentions three things that was not. 
Uh, it didn't come from error. didn't come from us wandering astray into some sort of uh, error. And they knew this. They already knew this. It didn't come from impurity. You know, we weren't seeking some sort of uh, unclean thing. It makes you think of people who are um, uh, motivated by some sort of sexual sin and trying to gain an advantage, although the word could be used uh, for that, or tainted by any sort of uh, foulness or, or a dirty, uh, uh, staining, impure uh, motive. It didn't come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, by guile. It didn't come from us trying to pull one over uh, on you. And that's uh, how the gospel came to you is by um, uh, men who were uh, knew how to manipulate people coming and uh, deceiving you. No, that's not an explanation for why the gospel won a, a hearing from you, but this is. Just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but as God who examines uh, the heart. Paul, uh, when he spoke, the gospel, of course, he spoke to win a hearing from those uh, that he spoke to. In fact, he endeavored to make his life not distracting and not an offense uh, to those uh, that he spoke to. But he knew that his his central motive was to speak in a way that pleased God. Speak in a way that pleased God. And so he speaks uh, of, of speaking uh, as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with his gospel. And he knew that the gospel was not something of his own making or something to be adapted to the need of the moment, but was, as he speaks of it in some other letters, a deposit, something entrusted to him that he, he cannot uh, change. And that's the gospel that he gave to the Thessalonians. He didn't give them something suited to uh, manipulate them, uh, uh, suited, he didn't study them and uh, figure out what they would like and then give that uh, to them. He gave them the gospel that has been entrusted to him uh, by God. And he speaks not as pleasing to men, but as God who examines the heart. And so he speaks about his motive, the heart motive, the inward, unseen uh, motive. Uh, and that's the way in which he ministered uh, the gospel to them, a gospel straight from God. Um, and that's the gospel that they accepted is not a gospel designed to take them in, but a gospel that came unvarnished and straight uh, from God by one who was uh, seeking to uh, please God in uh, not altering uh, the gospel. So let me ask you, as you think about how the gospel came uh, to you, how did the gospel come to you? Was it told by someone who was trying to please you? Was that how the gospel came to you? Was that how it came through the ages down uh, to you? Was it uh, altered to suit your uh, preconceptions? And that's why you're a Christian. It's come to somebody altered the gospel to suit what they knew uh, you would already be inclined uh, uh, to accept. Or did they tell you the gospel straight, like Paul did to the, the Thessalonians? Did they tell you that the wrath for your sin was so great that you could hardly understand it because you've offended a holy God? And the punishment is more than your mind can even take in of uh, the punishment that your sin deserves uh, in hell. And that punishment is hanging over your head. And yet it's just, it's fair. It's right uh, that you should suffer forever uh, for your sin. And then did they tell you of a love so great that you could never imagine uh, a love that you didn't know that you needed from God 
to send his son to a cross to pay the penalty for that. So there's nothing left uh, to pay. A savior and a God you didn't know you needed and perhaps you didn't even desire to have a God that, that would do so much for you. Perhaps it would be a, a, a little uh, uh, better uh, for you to have a God that uh, you could really come up and be a little bit more on his level than a God who would have to love you like that in order for you uh, to have a relationship uh, with him. Were they careful to please you or were they careful to please God? in the way in which they told you uh, the gospel. Well, Paul says to the Thessalonians, the gospel was brought to you not by people who are seeking to please you, but by those who are being careful to please God. And the fact that you've accepted a gospel like that indicates that you're a child of, uh, a child of God. If you've never accepted that gospel, if that's a strange thing to you and something that you, that you don't accept, then uh, the message that you need to hear is not the message the Thessalonians needed or the one that I think most of you here need to hear that you are a child of God and that you need to uh, just be reminded uh, of that. But rather the message that you need to hear, if you've never accepted this message, is that you're not a child of God. You're, you're a stranger from him. You're an enemy of him and there's only one way to be right with him and that is to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what Paul said to the Philippian jailer, you will be saved. And that's uh, God's promise uh, for you. Well, Paul's uh, spoken of the circumstances of those who preach the gospel to the Thessalonians. He's spoken of the motives of those who preach the gospel to the Thessalonians. And finally, he speaks of the conduct of those who preach the gospel to uh, the Thessalonians. Uh, he's been speaking of the inward motives, and uh, he's going to go outward uh, again and speak of what they know happened when Paul and Silas and Timothy came to uh, Thessalonica. Verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is uh, witness. Paul says, we didn't come to you with flattering speech. Uh, flattery is smooth speech that's aimed at winning a favorable impression to gain influence, to seek for selfish uh, advantage. And so uh, it takes wisdom. In fact, there's some proverbs uh, about this to distinguish between things that are loving that are said to you versus things that are uh, done in uh, flattery. And uh, sometimes those can sound the same. And then the the you see the flattery for what it is, and the scales fall off, and it all rings uh, very hollow. Uh, Paul says, when we came to you, we didn't come flattering you, and you know we didn't. You didn't hear it. The reason you didn't detect flattery from us is because it never happened. And it didn't happen even once, he says. We never came with a flattering speech, as you know, or with a pretext for greed, to try to somehow take advantage of you. God, God is witness, he says. Not only do you know, but God himself uh, does. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our uh, authority. And so Paul um, wasn't seeking recognition or fame from uh, the Thess Thessalonians or from any others. Uh, nor was he seeking his own advantage, although he says we had the right uh, to do that as apostles of Christ uh, to uh, assert our authority. There, there was uh, authority uh, that Paul had, certainly a, a right to be um, supported 
in uh, the gospel through um, through uh, uh, finances. And he says, we didn't assert it. We didn't assert what was ours even by right, uh, according to our authority. And that's not why we spoke to you. And so he says uh, in verse uh, 7, But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. And so instead of seeking his own gain, seeking his own glory, uh, Paul says instead what happened was this. And he gives a very tender and loving uh, picture of a nursing woman, a nursing woman. We proved to be, instead of all that, gentle, gentle among you. That's how we were when we came and uh, gave the gospel to you. That's what our conduct was like among you, was gentle, like a woman tenderly nursing uh, her own uh, child. It's a tender, it's a loving picture. You can't really get a more tender and loving uh, picture uh, than that. But he adds one detail it's not just a, a, a woman nursing a baby, but a woman nursing her own baby. It's a mother nursing her own uh, children. It reminds me of the story of uh, uh, Moses when he's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And uh, Miriam's right there. And, and Miriam says, well, shall I go get uh, so, someone of the Hebrews to, to nurse this uh, uh, child? And uh, the Egyptian princess tells her to go do it. So she goes and finds her mother. So that Moses as a baby is uh, nursed uh, by his own mother, by his own mother. Uh, no woman could nurse him more lovingly, more tenderly than his own mother. And Paul says, that's how we became among you. We weren't seeking our own advantage when we came, but we were gentle among you like a, a nursing mother gener- tenderly cares for her own uh, uh, children. And so this is the way in which uh, the gospel came uh, to them. Verse 8, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. And so Paul says, we shared with you not just the message of the gospel. We're called to be heralds. We did herald it, but we did more than that. And you know that we did more uh, than that. We shared with you not just the gospel uh, of God, but we shared our own lives with you. We were willing to lay down our lives. We were willing to give to you as we gave you uh, the gospel. And Paul says, we didn't do this as a duty. We didn't do this as an obligation. We didn't do this because uh, the handbook for gospel preachers says, uh, make sure you do this when you give the gospel to someone. Paul says, no, having an affection for you. We were well pleased. We wanted to do this. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become beloved, beloved. Uh, to uh, us. And so Paul was very clear that the gospel ministry was service, and he's reminding the Thessalonians that the gospel came to them by those who were uh, genuinely seeking to uh, serve them and not those who were uh, seeking in some way to take uh, advantage of them. Verse 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and our hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Uh, Paul worked with his hands, and, and that's what he speaks of here. The word for uh, labor and hardship speaks not only of work, but of work with your hands, uh, work that causes sweat. And uh, Paul was a tent maker. That's how he knew, he knew a trade, and that's how he supported himself on uh, when he uh, ministered uh, the gospel. Paul defended the right of himself and of all gospel preachers to make a living from the gospel. But in his case, he delighted to forego that right. Perhaps it was because uh, the gospel was uh, first coming 
to those uh, people, and he wanted to remove any suspicion that uh, somehow he was, he was in it for the money. And so uh, he took delight in supporting himself and refusing to be uh, uh, supported. And uh, the Thessalonians uh, remembered that. They weren't taken in by someone who wanted their money, not even somebody who wanted uh, support uh, from them uh, in any way. They were taken in instead by the genuine gospel, sending by the, God sending his uh, genuine servants uh, instead. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. And so Paul's kind of wrapping up what he's uh, saying, uh, reminding them again of what they know. You are witnesses. You already know this. I'm not telling you what you haven't seen. You are witnesses, and God himself witnessed this. And he's summing it, uh, it up how devoutly, with holiness, uprightly, with righteousness, and blamelessly, we behaved towards you uh, believers. And then he gives a, a final picture, which he adds to the picture of the nursing uh, mother, verse 11. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and uh, glory. The uh, final picture that Paul gives of his ministry is a picture of a father. He's given a picture of a mother, a tender picture, and he gives a, a, a picture of a father as well. And it's it's also a wonderful, a loving picture, but in a in a in a different way, a different different parent. Uh, uh, there's an aspect of each that Paul showed uh, in his ministry and that they knew uh, uh, that he did. But uh, he was like a father raising his children in the fear and admonition of the Lord when he was there ministering the gospel in uh, Thessalonica. And he gives three actions. These are three actions of a father who's raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Exhorting. Exhorting. That's what Paul does in his letters. Uh, he exhorts. Uh, and that's what he did uh, with them as well. Uh, so exhorting. Encouraging. And this is a word, it's, it's a little like exhorting, but it especially has to do with comforting. A father is not to provoke his children to wrath. He's not to give his child more than they can handle, uh, but to suit his exhortation uh, to each one. So exhorting and comforting and uh, imploring. And this is actually the word, uh, it's, it's actually the word for witnessing. It's like somebody who's giving testimony, very solemn testimony. And so uh, as a father exhorts and uh, also comforts, he speaks to his children about things that are important and sober and serious, like a witness giving testimony uh, before uh, a judge. And Paul says, we're doing this to each one of you as a father would his own uh, uh, children. And so when Paul came and ministered to the church, when they first uh, believed, he did not uh, spend time with the most influential people and the most capable people and, and just spend time with them and then say, well, it's going to filter down to everybody else through them. No, Paul says, I was like a father, exhorting, encouraging, imploring to each one of you, to every one of you. And not in a way of one size fits all. Here's what I'm going to do for everybody, uh, Paul says, but each uh, individual member according to their own need. Uh, he implored each one of them as a father would his own children. And here was his aim, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and uh, glory. Paul exhorted them as a father toward a worthy walk a walk that is worthy of uh, the gospel. And uh, as is kind of characteristic for this, these letters, when Paul speaks of this, it has a future look. 
so that you'd walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. We pray for God's kingdom to come. It's here in part in the church. It's coming in the world more fully when Christ uh, comes as King of Kings and uh, Lord of Lords. And uh, as Paul wraps up his description of how the gospel came to the Thessalonians, he anchors it in this, the God who is calling you, present tense, he's calling you right now in an effectual way, like he called Lazarus, into his own kingdom and uh, and glory and the glory of um, his uh, his kingdom. So he's saying he called you when the gospel first came to you, the first time when we came and uh, gave you the true gospel of God, unadulterated. We weren't there seeking our own uh, benefit, but we gave you uh, the true gospel and that was God himself calling you. And he's still calling you. He's calling you to his own kingdom and uh, glory. And uh, don't don't uh, forget uh, about this. We said uh, at the uh, beginning of this passage that there's a repeated phrase. It's, you know, he keeps reminding them uh, of that. He's he's uh, starting with what they know and then he's going to build towards what they are uh, in doubt of. And so uh, Paul is reminding them of how the gospel uh, came to them. And you can't help but notice it when you read through this, how many times he says, you know. There's another word that's repeated in this uh, passage. And uh, you can't miss this word either. It's a little longer in uh, the Greek, so it makes more of an impression, I think, uh, when, when you read it. So you can't help but notice it. And it's, it's the word, it's uh, own, O-W-N. That shows up. It's four times. It's in verse seven. It's verse eight, verse 11 and verse 12. And it shows up in these uh, pictures of Paul. The first three is uh, uh, when Paul's speaking about himself and his ministry in relation to the Thessalonians. And the last one is speaks of God. So uh, he says, we prove to be gentle among you. Verse seven as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. That's how we were. When we uh, brought the gospel to you, we were like a mother caring for her own children. And then he says, uh, when we uh, ministered to you, this is verse uh, 8, we were pleased not only to give you the gospel, but also our own lives. We laid down our own lives for you. And then he gives the other picture of uh, the father. That's uh, verse 12. Just as you know, we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each one of you as the father would his own children. So Paul says, we treated you like one of our own. In all of these ways, we laid down our own life uh, for you. And we did this, he wraps it all up, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. And I think uh, what Paul uh, is saying, he's saying, we claim you as our own, we treated you as our own, and so does God. So does God. God treats you as his own too, as well. That's why he sent uh, the gospel uh, to you. And so this uh, description of Paul's ministry is good news. The love that it captures, and it does capture that. That's, that's the basic thrust uh, of this. The warmth uh, that it captures, captures not only the model of the Christian ministry, which it is. It's the model of how uh, uh, we should minister the gospel. It's not only the model of the Christian ministry that they responded to in, in faith, but actually it captures the character of God himself towards you and towards all who accept uh, the gospel. And so Paul says, you know, when we came with the gospel, we didn't have our own agenda. 
We weren't working our own agenda. We were working God's agenda. And our conduct, our motives, the circumstances showed we, we did this freely. We did this uh, not seeking our own uh, benefit, but simply seeking to glorify God, simply uh, seeking to give the real gospel uh, to you. And through that, you became like our own. And it's that's what you've become to God. Uh, as well, and you can know that uh, from from uh, looking even just at us, you can understand that you've become God's uh, own child. Well, Paul points to himself and to his ministry and to Silas and Timothy along with him in the way in which they uh, brought the gospel to uh, Thessalonica only as an aid, only as a help. See through us, God himself claiming you as his own even by sending the gospel in the way in which he sent uh, the gospel uh, to you. Paul sees himself just as an aid, just as a help for them to really rest on God's word alone. And that's what he says. We won't get there. Uh, we'll get there next time in verse uh, 13. For this reason, all the things that he's been talking about here, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And so this was... Uh, a story of how the the real word of God came to the Thessalonians, not through people who were trying to change it for their own benefit, but through servants uh, of God that they might rest again on the real foundation, which is the word of God alone. What Paul speaks about here in the way in which that word was brought to them is just a buttress to that. The real foundation is uh, the word of God, but it's a good place to begin. And especially when you've lost lost your way and not able to see your salvation as the Thessalonians uh, had had become getting bogged down in that doubt of their own salvation. You can't be ready for Christ's return. You can't be busy while you're waiting for Christ's return. You can't be victorious over sin and over Satan without knowing for sure, knowing for certain that you are a child of God. That's where the power comes from. And uh, so if you uh, are lacking in power over sin, uh, over Satan, you need to go back to the beginning. You need to go back to the gospel and remind yourself of God's character, of his gospel, and that you're truly a child uh, of God. It's there that the victory comes from. It's there that the power comes from. Without that assurance, everything that you touch, the best effort you make turns to dust with that assurance that you're a child of God and the nearness to God that it brings and the power that it brings, everything you touch turns to gold. You're like a tree planted by a stream of water as leaf doesn't wither and whatever it does, uh, it prospers. So let me say to you this morning, keep the faith, keep the faith. Uh, it's important. Don't lose hope and don't doubt that God is at work. Even in difficulties, even in uh, hard times, to tell you so that you know that he is, that you are his child and to draw you close to himself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent the gospel message through true servants, uh, not perfect servants, but uh, true servants of, of yours. And even the way in which they brought it to us uh, indicates that uh, it is a message from you and that it's a message from you designed to claim your children by winning a hearing to that message, by winning acceptance, by winning faith. 
and saying, yes, I trust in uh, that message. That message is for me. And so this faith makes us your children forever. And so we thank you for the word of God, the gospel of God itself, which performs its work in us who believe. We pray uh, if there be any that truly know you and have uh, forgotten their own salvation, uh, that Satan has uh, tempted them to uh, entertain an idea that perhaps uh, they are not your child, perhaps that you are not uh, their father. We pray that you would uh, encourage their faith by uh, reminding them of the gospel message itself. And uh, through the power of that, we pray that you would revive in us uh, a sense of nearness to you and uh, your power, the power of your Holy Spirit uh, working in us uh, that we might be ready for Christ's return, that we might be busy, and that we might be fruitful uh, about the work of the church that you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.